Purim is around the corner tomorrow night. Uh, we begin Purim, of course, Wednesday night and Thursday. So let us go over some of the aspects, the halachas of Purim. There are, of course, the four major mitzvahs on Purim itself, plus a number of items to address uh, leading into Purim. Let's start with Purim. Let's jump right in. The are, there are, as I mentioned, four mitzvahs. Let's go through them one at a time just to review, make sure that we're clear on what it is that we need to do in order to fulfill everything that needs to be done correctly on the day. Let's start with, of course, the Megillah. The Megillah is the only one of of the four mitzvahs, which has a nighttime component. All of the other mitzvahs are specifically daytime mitzvahs, um, with the exception of Megillah, which is read both at night and during the day. I, I highlight that because the primary mitzvah of the Megillah is also a daytime mitzvah. All of the mitzvahs are daytime. Um, and then the sages added that not only should we read it during the day, but it should be read at night as well. But the more important, and we have to hear both times, uh, every Jew, man and woman, is obligated to hear the Megillah twice, at night and during the day. The one during the day is actually more important. It's just an oddity in, in cultural experience. There are probably more people who hear the Megillah at night than that do during the day, but the daytime one happens to be more important, technically speaking, but we need to hear it both. As I mentioned, both men and women are obligated to hear the Megillah twice, even though this is a classic time-bound mitzvah. Purim, of course, only comes once a year, and women are generally exempt from time-bound mitzvahs. Here, they are obligated, as the Gemara very famously says, the women were also part of this miracle. They were part of the decree to be destroyed. They were part of the salvation. Of course, Esther plays a major role. And therefore, women were just as obligated by the sages as men in hearing the Megillah both times. Before we read the Megillah, there will be three blessings that are recited. We make them the bracha of al-mikra Megillah on reading the Megillah, like we do on Hanukkah as well, to acknowledge the miracles that took place. And we make the Shechianu. Uh, Ashkenazi uh, custom is to make the Shechianu both at night, and then we make it again during the day. So we'll make three brachas at night, we'll make three brachas again during the day, and the custom is when we make the Shechianu during the day on reading the Megillah, that one should have in mind that they will that Shechianu bracha will go and cover all of the other mitzvahs that we still have to fulfill, the other three mitzvahs of the, uh, of the afternoon. Listening to the Megillah is ideal in a minion. If one can, it is always better. There's a principle the Gemara addresses called Berov Am Hadras Melech. The glory of the king is always greater in a larger crowd. When you have a big crowd, right, just ask certain presidents who used to like to count how many people came to their events. So the bigger the crowd, the more uh, honor. So uh, it's better to go to shul to hear the Megillah. Obviously, we're still in a circumstance in which not everybody is so comfortable in bigger crowds, but at least in a minion, uh, it's better to hear the Megillah in a minion, but one can fulfill the Megillah by listening uh, even in a room just with one other person or reading it to oneself if one knows how to read the Megillah. What a minion is not required is the main point to hear the Megillah. It's just a nice thing. On that note, there is a clear halachic ideal way to fulfill this mitzvah, and that is to hear directly from the reader, meaning being in the same room without a microphone, without Zoom, listening to someone read the Megillah, there is no question. That is the way that a Jew is supposed to fulfill this mitzvah. Um, That being said, particularly last year, there were certain leniencies with uh, Zoom when it was simply impossible for many people to get to shul. But that is a major, major leniency. If you are able and healthy to get to shul 100%, that is the way that it should be done. It should not be done with a microphone. It should be where you directly hear from, uh, from the reader. 
any individual uh, questions on that particular thing, please uh, send me a note. We'll, uh, we can uh, address it and talk about it. Um, but certainly, if when it is possible, uh, it should be done live. Um, regarding the actual listening to the, the reading of the Megillah, one is obligated to hear or read every word of the Megillah we, from the beginning to end. And it must be done in order. Now, the significance of saying that it must be done in order is, uh, let's say, for example, somebody comes in and they miss the first three verses because they're running a little bit late. They couldn't find parking. They couldn't find the room in which the Megillah is being read, whatever the case may be. And the guy, the reader, is three psuk him in. So you say, no problem. I'll listen to the rest and then I'll go back and I'll read the first three psuk him that I met. You can't do that. It has to be done in order. What then is the solution if you miss a word here or there? So even though it has to be read from a scroll, that is the majority, the bulk of it has to be read from a scroll. An individual word or an individual verse can be read straight out of a chumash. So if you have a book in front of you, which you should, and you're following along, and you missed a word, or you missed a pasuk, a child behind you was throwing their gragger around, or started crying, or you, had to, you got distracted by something, um, you can fill in from your regular chumash uh, the word or the verse that you missed and then just catch up to the reader. Again, you can't go out of order. You can't just note, oh, I missed that one verse in the sixth pe- chapter. I'll fill it in when I'm done. You need to catch up and then you can listen again to the reader and you do need to hear every word. And this is why from the time the brachos are made in the beginning until the brach at the very end, there really should be no talking as everybody is listening and making sure that they hear every word from beginning to end. Those are some of the brief halachas, just a quick review to make sure that we fulfill the opportunity to hear the Megillah timing-wise. Um, at night, it can be done. Once night falls, you have the entire night to read the nighttime reading. We will, of course, have a second reading, as most shuls do after the main one, which is about 725, 730. There'll be a second one at 845. Um, and if one misses that, I've had uh, occasions where I've read for people at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Someone once got stuck on a, on a plane. Uh, I remember reading uh, very, very late for someone in my house in Atlanta. You could read all night. And same thing with the day. The earliest you could read is at sunrise, which is about 7.05 in the morning. And you can read all the way until sunset, which is why many shuls will have late afternoon readings even if people can't read in the morning. It's always better to do the mitzvahs in the morning. We run to do a mitzvah as soon as we can. But if one can't get to a Megillah reading in the morning, noon, 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, even 5 o'clock in the afternoon is still okay. Now that we change the clocks, you have all the way until uh, about 7 o'clock to hear the Megillah. And all day is valid to hear the Megillah reading of the day. Moving on, Mishloch Manot, our second mitzvah of the day is to send gifts to friends. Um, there are two reasons that are suggested amongst the authorities as to why the sages of uh, Mordechai and Esther established this idea of Mishloch Manot Ishlirei, as the Megillah says, to send gifts. One is to increase friendship. It's an opportunity to send gifts to people who you might not normally send gifts to. Um, and that always just increases the camaraderie, the friendship, the closeness amongst the Jewish people. And number two, the second reason is to make sure that everybody actually has food for their meal that they'll need. This way, even people who might be too embarrassed to ask, um, everybody has a plenty of food going around and they'll have what they need for their su'uda later. Those are the two reasons that are offered. The requirement is very simple. To one person, you must send two food items. Straightforward. It it can be elaborate. It can have a theme. It could be put in a nice, beautiful box. But the requirement simply is one person receives two food items. 
the two food items can be the same bracha. They just can't be the same food, meaning you can't give a, a bag of jelly beans. That doesn't count as two food items. It's the same food. It's just a lot of it. A big piece of cake is the same thing as many jelly beans. It's just, it's one thing. But you can send jelly beans and let's say, this might sound a little bit funny, but you'll see the example I'm doing it, and a piece of chicken. Even though they're both a shahakol, chicken is shahakol, and jelly beans are shahakol, they're two food items. And as long as they're two distinct food items, that is all that you need, and you have fulfilled the obligation. This mitzvah is a daytime mitzvah. You cannot say, I'm going to take care of it early this year because I got a lot going on on Purim. So on Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to drive around and drop off uh, shalach manos for my friends. It doesn't work. It's a nice thing, but it doesn't work. You have to deliver the shalach manos on Purim. Now, if you want to deliver in advance to your 50 nearest and dearest and just save one for Purim day, you're welcome to do that. On Purim Day, you must deliver one to a friend, two food items. And if you don't have time to deliver 50, then the extra ones you could do in advance. That's totally fine. But on Purim Day, make sure that you deliver one to a friend. There is a discussion whether or not it's required to be sent through a messenger, through an agent. That's based on the language that the Megillah uses, Mishloach Manot. Sounds like it's being sent through someone else. Almost all of the posts can say it's not required. Uh, you could deliver it yourself. It's totally fine to give it yourself to a friend. You do not need to use someone else to deliver them. There are some, some who suggest at least one that you're going to deliver, use an agent to deliver it based on those who are particular about that, but it's not a requirement that you deliver it through someone else. You can give it yourself. Uh, women are just as obligated as men in this mitzvah as well, and women should make sure to uh, deliver some mishloach uh, manot. It is of note, I just want to add something. This is really um, not in practice. We don't have to worry about it. But there are many discussions in halacha about the, the food items um, and what you can use in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Like, for example, can you send meat to a vegetarian? What if you send sugar to somebody who's a diabetic? What if you uh, do drinks count? Does it, does it have to be two food items or drinks? What if you send something to a person who doesn't hold of that hechsher and they won't eat it? There are all of these fascinating questions, none of which are relevant because thank God we live in a day and an age and an era in which we send so much food, so many items to so many people that it's not a, a real halachic practical discussion of can you fulfill the mitzvah? of if I, I said, but it's, uh, it's, it's worth just noting the blessed times that we live in, particularly now where there are many Jews in different parts of the world who do not live in such blessed times, that we don't have to worry about such questions of what's the minimum amount, can I use a drink, can I use food if it's not really so healthy, like we, we have plenty what to go around and, uh, and thank God for that. I do want to add one last point in regarding, um, two last points exactly in Shalach Manos. There's also discussion in Halacha, what if you just add your name to a list? Like there are many organizations that do that here and elsewhere um, in which you, know, you check off different boxes and they charge you whatever it is, $3 a name. Does that count? Um, in which the, the recipient is going to receive a very beautiful basket, but you're one of 75 names and all you contributed was $3 to that. Does that count of, for your Mishloach Manos? And that itself is a big discussion in Halacha of like, did you really fulfill the mitzvah? Did you, does that count as that you sent two items to someone? You sent it to a family of two, and 75 people paid for it. So how much of it really is yours uh, when it comes? So my recommendation is if you do like to do that, and I'm sure many people do because that way you could check off a lot of names in a simple way, 
Again, send one normally. Just choose one neighbor, choose one friend, make sure on Purim you actually deliver at least one. And even if you want to check off a whole bunch of boxes, that's great. And you're going to have your name included, that's great. At least one. Do it in the old-fashioned way to make sure you fulfill the mitzvah without any discussion, without any complications um, of being able to do so. Uh, lastly, I do want to mention um, the, uh, the mitzvah, this mitzvah perm, which increases friendship, it com- increases camaraderie, is one of the most precious, precious times that we have all year. I beg you, I say this every year, use it wisely. Do not send to your 10 closest friends who you eat at their houses all year round, all the time. Do not, please. They will understand that they did not get shalach manos from you. Think through your shul directory. Think through your people in shul who you do not normally reach out to and say, I was thinking about you, just wanted to say hello, it's perm, enjoy. Normally, all year round, that circle, we have our like close circle of friends, and then we have our larger circle of friends, and then we have the people who we like sort of see and know, but don't interact with so much. And during the year, it's like an odd thing, if you would suddenly drop off with a gift, they'd be like, why are you giving me this gift? And you would not really have a good answer. And it's a little awkward. But on perm, you can. Perm is an opportunity to say to somebody who maybe doesn't receive 150 shalach manos on Purim, maybe they only receive three or four or five, and you don't need an excuse. You don't have to worry about being walking. You can just say, I-, I see you in shul all year. I wanted to deliver shalach manos. Please, please take advantage of the next day or two and think who you really want to send them to, not to your closest friends, which they like you anyway. Find somebody that you could put a smile on their face by saying, thank you for thinking of me. I appreciate it. That's what this mitzvah is for. And I I hope that we can all take advantage of it and really use it in a way that will put smiles on the recipients' faces by knowing that we thought about them and we sent them something on Purim. Um, I'll just add to that. I don't want to go too long. It's an opportunity to send it. Maybe there are, you have non-religious friends, colleagues, co-workers. It's just an opportunity in an easy way. It's like set up. It's Purim to really reach out and, and share uh, some Purim joy and let people know that you're thinking about them. That's Mishloach Manos. Third mitzvah of the day is Matanos Lavyonim, giving gifts to the poor. It is explicit in many sources, the Rambam most famously, that this mitzvah is far more important than Mishloach Manos. Far more money should be spent on Matanos Lavyonim, on giving gifts to the poor, than one should spend on a beautiful theme and uh, sugary drinks and Mishloach Manos. And this is really the greatest joy that we could do is putting a smile on those who really uh, need it and the organizations that give out the money on Purim. Uh, the many needy families that wait all year round, uh, uh, all year round for Purim. A couple of practical details. Number one, what's the actual Mishloch um, Mano? You can give to a non-Jew, just answering the question, going back for a second, but you can't fulfill the mitzvah by giving it to a non-Jew. So the, the mitzvah needs to be given to a Jew, but you can't. You can send gifts to non-Jews, of course, on Purim. It's not a problem. Um, going back to Matanas uh, Levyonim. Um, what's the actual requirement? So here, unlike Mishloch Manas, which was one person, two items, here you need to give to two different people um, a gift. Two different poor people need to receive money um, on Purim Day. Again, this is a Purim Day mitzvah, must be done on Purim Day, but with a catch, which I'll get to in a second. This is again obligated to both, both men and women have this obligation to give tzedakah on uh, on Purim Day, two people. How much do you have to give to each person? So the amount that you need to give is generally assumed to be the amount that they would need for a meal. The amount of money that they would need to purchase a meal. How much money do you need for a meal today? 
So, you know, if you went to IGA, you know, $7, $8, you could buy a bread, a can of tuna fish, you could even buy yourself a drink. Seven, eight dollars would be totally fine for a person to be able to uh, get themselves a meal. So that's generally assumed would be sufficient, which means you need to give two people. So it's the total value of between 15 and 20 dollars would be uh, sufficient to fulfill the mitzvah. That amount, the primary mitzvah of between whatever it's 15, 16, 17 dollars, which you could divide between two people, should not come from miser money. That's not money that's already been designated for tzedakah. You give uh, that money and it must be given again on Purim. This is where the rabbis and organizations help out because since the money has to be given out on Purim, many people, again, in certain communities and I, I assume for sure in areas in New York, probably in Uchimah, there are people who literally will walk around all day on Purim knocking on doors, collecting, and you can give to them. But in many places, it's not accessible. But the rabbis, myself, others, have organizations already set up who will be giving out the money on Purim Day. So we collect, and therefore I can collect already now in advance because I'm going to be your agent. You're going to give to me on Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'm going to call up the, my connections on Thursday and say, I raised $7,000, I raised $10,000, and they'll give it out on Purim, and I'm simply your intermediary. So you could certainly use me, other organizations, to give this money to fulfill that it should be given out on Purim. If you gave it, or somebody asked me just last night, somebody came to my door, I gave them money. Does that count? The answer is it counts as stucca for sure. You'll receive plenty of reward for it. But does it count for Matanos Levionim? No, because you could only do that on Purim. But if you give it to me, that will count because I'm not the recipient. I'm just your agent who will then give it out on Purim Day. Um, okay, that is the in regards to Matanos Evyodim. The fourth mitzvah on Purim is, of course, the mitzvah of the Se'udah, of having a meal. Uh, this mitzvah also is a daytime mitzvah. Wednesday night, you come home from the Megillah and you've been fasting all day and you want to have a nice, beautiful meal. Does that count? It's a nice thing, but it doesn't count as your Purim Su'udah. Your Purim Su'udah must be on Purim Day, which means Thursday afternoon, and it must be before sunset. We could change the clock, so it gives us a little bit of extra time. Sunset, again, is 7 o'clock. So at some point, it really should be where the, the bulk of the meal is before sunset. So by 5, 5.30, 6, latest, one should start their meal. And the table should be set like a Shabbos meal. Nice dishes, a tablecloth. You sit down, you should have bread. You don't need to have two rolls. That's a Shabbos thing of Lecha Mishnah. But there should be bread, bagel, something in which you wash. Uh, custom, of course, is to have meat and wine. And that is your, your per meal. Um, which needs to be celebrated as a part of the uh, experience. The reason why we have the bread is so that we can bench and we can add al-hanisim um, in the benching, the special edition that we add for Purim of al-hanisim. If you do wash and have bread on Wednesday night, that's fine. You also would add al-hanisim, but that's not your mitzvah of the Purim meal. That's just anytime you wash and have bread over the course of Purim, you have to bench and say al-hanisim. Um, but it, the, the mitzvah of the meal is to do so sometime on Thursday afternoon to be able to add al-hanisim. If you, two halachas on al-hanisim, if you forgot al-hanisim, you do not have to repeat benching. Okay, you bench, you missed Alanisim, that's fine. Number two is even if your meal extends deep into the night, let's say you set up your meal and everybody comes at 5, 5.30 in the afternoon, you wash, you begin your meal, and everybody's having a great uh, great time, and you end up not finishing your meal until 8, 9 o'clock at night. It's pitch black outside. It's already halachically Friday. Perm's over. But it's just like on Shabbos, if you started a meal for Shalashudas, and extended it into the night, you would still add Ritzay in benching. So is it true in regards to Alanism, as long as you started your meal during the day, 
even if you finish your meal later at night, you would still add al hanisim when you bench at the end of uh, at the end of your meal. Uh, just so one question came in that I wanted to address. Mishloch Manas on Shushan Purim is also too late. You want you need to do it on the day of uh, of Purim. There is discussion, which again is not relevant to us, of can you fulfill uh, can you fulfill the mitzvah um, by sending you know to a, a, a Yushalayim Jew, you know who's celebrating Purim on Friday. So I sent him Mishloch Manos on Friday in Yushalayim. So he received my gift on his day of Purim, but it's not my day of Purim. So does that work for me? Can I fulfill the mitzvah of sending Mishloch Manos to a Jew who, as far as I'm concerned, it's already after Purim, but for him, okay, that's not relevant to us. It's just an interesting, uh, an interesting discussion. Um, as far as, uh, as I mentioned, one of the minhagim of the meal of Purim is to drink wine. The whole idea of drinking on Purim has been terribly abused in, uh, in recent years. It's not even so recent. It's been abused for a long time. But it should be worth noting that the entire concept, whatever, and there's a lot of discussion about it. It comes from a Gemara that says a person should become so inebriated on Purim um, that he doesn't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. The, it's clear, well, on whatever level that Gemara means, it's only with wine and it's only during the meal. Anybody drinking anything not part of their Purim meal is not that concept. They're, they're drinking, but they're not drinking because it's the Purim. Purim is about, in the midst of your meal, having wine. That's the idea of drinking where it comes from. And of course, the, the Ramah, Ramosha Israelis, has already very famously said, better to just take a nap and not know the difference between Haman and Mordechai than uh, get yourself drunk, at which point you can't bench, you can't daven, and that's the least of the problems of what happens when you're drunk. But in uh, any case, just a quick word on, on, the, on as far as drinking goes. Two other quick points just as far as getting ready for Purim. Number one is the Machatzis shekel, the half shekel. There was, in the, when the Beis Hamikdash stood... Um, when the uh, when the Beis Hamikdash stood, so in Adar on the first day of Adar, they would make announcements that everybody should give in their half shekel um, because uh, the new shekels would be collected by Nisan, which was the beginning of the new year in the in the halachic terminology, and all of the public offerings would be brought based on the new shekel. So already in the month of Adar, they would be collecting the shekels from all of the Jews, so that the treasury of the Beis Hamikdash would have it for the coming year. So as a remembrance of that. That we should always remember there was a Beis HaMikdash that once stood and we would have a half shekel tax that was levied upon all the Jewish people that they would contribute in order to have a portion of all of the public offerings that were given. I contributed my portion to that. So there's a custom to give a half a shekel as well during the month of Adar. It's often done right around Purim time. Um, there's a custom developed even to give three half dollars or whatever the currency is. And uh, that takes place in Shul uh, where we have a bunch of half dollars. You generally would give about $1.50 um, into the... Uh, into the basket, and then through that dollar fifty, you basically purchased the three half dollar bills. And now that you purchase the three half dollar bills, they're yours, and then you contribute them back to the uh, back to the shul, back to the uh, as a remembrance. It's not really giving a half a shekel. We don't have a base hamikdash, as you know. It's just a remembrance that there's certain things that we continue doing, so that it should be familiar to us. Meheri yibada base hamikdash. It should be rebuilt soon. And uh, we'll know exactly what to do. So there's such a custom, and that's often done during the fast of Esther or on Purim as well. You'll see baskets out in shuls of the Machatzis Hashakel. And lastly, just to mention, the fast of Esther. The Tainus Esther is beginning already uh, Wednesday morning. Tomorrow morning uh, is the fast. 
the custom is uh, not to eat until you hear the Megillah. For those that it is difficult, you can eat when the fast is over before hearing the Megillah, but ideally one should wait until after hearing the Megillah. But just a quick memory, a, recla- a reminder that that fast will begin tomorrow morning, and that was the fast, as the Mishnah Brewer writes, for sure, when the Jews went to war on the 13th, which is the day that they actually went to war. They celebrated on the 14th like we do on Purim, but on the 13th of Adar, for sure, they fasted, as was the Jewish custom to fast when one goes to war for in seeking divine help, and therefore the Jewish people have taken it upon ourselves to fast as well, in recollection of what the Jews did during the war of Shushan and the surrounding areas. It's called Tainus Esther, in recollection of what Esther did, but her fast, as the Megillah records, was Pesach time. Her fast was 11 months prior to the Purim story. When the edict was first issued, that's when she said all the Jews should fast for three days, but that was 11 months earlier than the actual war. The 13th of Adar, which we fast as Tainus Esther, was not Esther's fast. That was the Jewish people fasting before they went to war um, against their enemies, which we commemorate with the fast, which will begin tomorrow. Okay, just a few a few points just to get ourselves ready and in the Purim spirit and look forward to celebrating Mirza Shem with everybody over, uh, over these glorious uh, day uh, coming up soon. Thank you, Thank you so much.